0: listening to audio from community bible church if you would like to find out more information about us please visit us at cbcsavannah.com if you have a bible go ahead and turn to matthew 11 or if you have an ipad or if you have a phone that has the esv app or any other app go ahead and open that don't no shame here you're saving trees if you bring your app um But I would encourage you to follow along with us. Uh, You'll get more out of today if you can read for yourself what God is telling us through his word. Nothing can be more disheartening and discouraging than false expectations, right? Uh, When you are convinced that something is is sure that's going to happen, right, and you build it all up and then that thing doesn't happen. So as a College graduate, you've been told you're going to go and you're going to change the world. Yeah. And then you get your first job and they put you in this cubicle and you get your first paycheck and you're like, I ain't even changing my rent with this. So when you realize what Uncle Sam takes after your parents say, car insurance is yours, cell phone is yours, everything's yours. You're like, I ain't changing nothing. I ain't even changing my clothes because I can't afford it, right? False expectations, or you, you have your first child and you're like, this is going to be a 6'4 linebacker for the University of Georgia. And then you get 5'6". <laughs> false expectations. Or maybe dating, right? Dating is full of false expectations, right? Oh, we're going to every, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Oh, it's going to be so sweet. And then you realize what he's like when you get married to him. He doesn't lower the toilet seat. He doesn't... Put the cat back on the toothpaste. He smells in the morning, right? All these things, false expectations. This is why the Bachelor show, I can't believe it's still in the air because it's full of false expectations. Oh, your life is gonna be flying around helicopters to tropical islands while you date 15 other people. That's gonna be good, right? It's false expectations, right? Uh, All sorts of them. We all have them, we've all done them. We've all been the object of them where we have let folks down. And the worst of the false expectations come when it's about God. These are the most devastating. That what God should be like, what God should do, how she should act, what he should do for me. And what we're gonna see in Matthew chapter 11 is a bunch of folks have false expectations about Jesus and what he's gonna do is he's is gonna address it and it's helpful for us. Because what we're going to see is, how do we not have false expectations? But if we do, what, what do we, how do we handle that? And what is the result when we do have them? We're going to see all these things wrapped up today in Matthew chapter 11. And as Jesus has come on the scene, remember Matthew, for those of you who are guests, we we're working for you through this gospel. This is the gospel that is written to the nation of Israel to tell them that this is their Messiah, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, And there's all sorts of expectations that the nation of Israel has of what Messiah should look like. His disciples have false expectations. His nation has false expectations. The religious leaders have false expectations. His own family has false expectations. And he's going to address some of those today. And some of the ones that they have are the common ones that we have. And so hopefully we can find some encouragement uh, of, of what to do when we face these things. And what is the result and how do we handle that? Today, So I'm going to read the entirety of our text. We're going to cover chapter 11, verses 1, all the way to 24, and then we're going to unpack it. So follow along with me, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you, have, what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge, you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the mighty works done, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and for Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So it starts out with, again, a summary. Jesus is instructing his disciples, and he's preaching. He's preaching, right? And then we get the first person who has these false expectations, and it comes from an unlikely source, from John the Baptist, And so when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Messiah, the Christ, that's what the word Christ means, he hears about the deeds of Messiah, and notice he's in prison. John went toe-to-toe with Herod and told Herod, you shouldn't be marrying your sister-in-law, which is just common good advice for everybody, okay? And Herod did not like this, so he throws John in prison. He He wanted to kill John, but he's afraid If he kills John, the people are gonna revolt. So he just leaves him in prison. And while in prison, John is hearing all the things that are going on. Jesus is healing. Jesus is raising people from the dead. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying that. But he, he has some questions, and so he sends his disciples to Jesus like they came before, before they came on their own. Now they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we have a question. It's from John. He's like, shoot, that's my cousin. What you got? And he asks... Are you the one, John wants to know, not us, are you the one to come, or should we look for another? What in the world has happened to John the Baptist? This is the guy, remember, John the Baptist, six months in his mother's womb, first time he meets Jesus, what does he do? He starts flipping for joy, gives his mama a big kick. Right? That's this first meeting with Jesus. When Mary walks in the room, John the Baptist is six months in utero and flips for joy, filled with the Spirit. This is the John. When Jesus comes down to the River Jordan and says, oh, you need to baptize me, he says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You need to baptize me. This is the John that says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the John who said, I saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven and land on him, and I am convinced that this is the Son of God. This is the John who is saying, Did I get it wrong? Are you the one? Are you the the Messiah, really? What has happened? What has happened to John? I'll tell you what's happened. It's false expectations. False expectations. See, John knows his Old Testament better than anybody. And he knows all the prophecies of what Messiah is supposed to be doing. And he hears about it. Messiah is supposed to make the blind see, check. Make the deaf hear, check. Preach poor, uh, good news to the poor. Check. He's preaching the same thing I was. Repent, the kingdom is hand. He, he's got all these boxes checked, but there's one big box that Jesus is missing that John is expecting. It's the judgment. It's the judgment piece. He's like, Where's the judgment? Remember those old 1980s Wendy's commercials? That old lady, Where's the beef? Right? She's looking at the hand, Where's the beef? He's thinking, Where's the judgment? This is what Messiah is supposed to do. This is what John had prophesied in Matthew three, right? He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. He who's coming after is mitre, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He baptizes you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor. He will gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn. Judgment is coming, repent. And John looks around and he, he says, where's the judgment? I'm in jail. Herod's still in charge. Why don't you deal with Herod? Rome is still oppressing us. Where's the the judgment? Sinners are running rampant. In fact, what I hear, Jesus, if, if they're telling me the truth, is you're actually eating with them. You're having meals with sinners. So where is the judgment? He expects this. Jesus is doing that. And now he has doubts. And this is one of the dangers of false expectation with God, is doubt. It's a big one. It's doubt, right? Are you really the one? Did I make a mistake? I mean, I've been telling everyone, get ready for you. Are you. Was I wrong? Doubt. Which is, on the surface, is moderately shocking. And it's so shocking, if you read some of the commentators, it's funny how they try to tiptoe around this. They're like, well, it wasn't really John that was doubting, it was his disciples. And so he's just trying to clarify the simplest interpretation is usually the most accurate. John is struggling with doubt. And people don't like that because we don't like our heroes to have, to have weaknesses. I, on the other hand, think this is greatly encouraging. Don't you? Isn't it great? John's doubting. You're like, why is it great? Because Jesus says he is the best of the best. He's the greatest of all the Old Testament saints, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than Ruth, greater than Esther, greater than them all. And he struggles with doubt. This is Iceman. This is the band. And he struggles. Yeah, I know, Top Gun, two weeks. I get it, right? He struggles with doubt. How great is that? How you should be encouraged. You know why? Because there is no one, I repeat, no one who has perfect faith. There's one. The Lord Jesus and He is it. The greatest of saints of the Old Testament struggles with doubt. And remember, we're not saved by perfect faith. It's not what we're called to. It's not the quantity of our faith. It is not the degree of our faith. It is the author and perfecter of our faith that saves us. And one smidge, one ounce of faith in Christ is enough to save, right? It's enough to save. We are saved by faith. Not the assurance of our faith. Assurance is great, but we're not saved by assurance of faith. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And what this passage tells me, reminds me of what the whole Bible reminds us is that the best of men is men at best. That's John the Baptist. And he doubts. And doubt is an affliction that most of us know well, right? And understand this, doubt is not the same as unbelief. Abraham doubted God, so much so that he, he took another bride because he thought, oh, there's a promise, I gotta figure it out. He doubted God, he finds himself in what? The hall of fame of faith. Moses, standing before the fiery, fiery burning bush, doubted God, I can't go, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Moses is a man of faith. Esther stands before the king, before her uncle, saying, I can't can't go in there. I can't go before the king. I can't do this. And she was a great woman of faith. Doubt and faith are not the same thing. In fact, I found a great quote from Oz Guinness on this. I'm going to put it on the screen and read it to you. He says, contrary to widespread misunderstanding, doubt is not the same as unbelief. So it is not the opposite of faith. Rather, it is a state of mind in suspension Between faith and unbelief. To believe is to be in one mind about accepting something as true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. And to doubt is to waver somewhere in between the two, and thus to be in two minds. This important distinction uncovers a major misconception of doubt the idea that a believer betrays faith and surrenders to unbelief by doubting. See, this is where John is. And how did he get there? False expectations. This is how Jesus should be doing it. This is what he should be doing. This is what you, the, should look like. And we might not have that expectation, but how often is this where we live? We doubt. Why? Because my spouse is in the ER on a coma. God, why, if you love us, do you? Did you let this happen? Why do I suffer chronic headaches? Why is my back not getting better? I've prayed about it. I've called the elders. They've laid hands on me. We've done everything we can, and and it seems like it's gotten worse. And so what happens? Doubt creeps in. Does God really care? Does God really know? Does God really heal? Does God, can God really heal? It's doubt, Right? You pour out your lives to, to serve this person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve these people. I'm gonna love these people. I'm gonna be kind to these people. I'm gonna try to reach these people. And then they stab you in the back. And you're like, I'm giving my life to these people. And we start to doubt. You, you feel called to this new thing, to go off to this place, to take this job, to try this new endeavor that God has clearly led you to. And then all of a sudden, all, it, all you face is obstacles and opposition and trouble and nothing is working out. And what do we do? We start to doubt our calling. We start to doubt what God has led and made clear. We've raised children trying to do our best and there's no perfect parent but we try to teach them the truth. We try to point them to the, tr- to the Christ. We try to, to share the word of God with them and they haven't believed. We start to doubt. I dated right, we, me and my, my husband, we dated right and we, we were pure before marriage and we went, to, we went to crew and we did all these things and we got plugged into a church and we did premarital counseling. We were in the, the new married couples class and we still have struggles. Right, we're on, was walk with Jesus in college and I'm a young adult and I'm still doing it and and, and I, I, I'm still not married and I wanna be married and this person over here, they didn't do any of that and they're married, what's the, what's the deal there? I'm working hard, I'm doing my best, I'm being honest, I'm being a faithful employee and I don't get promoted but this person who's cheating and leaves early and they do and there's doubt. Or here's a big one in our culture. If God is all powerful and God is good, then why does he let this white supremacist walk into a grocery store and kill a bunch of people yesterday? Could God have stopped that guy? Why does God allow such hatred? Why does God allow such evil in this world? Why doesn't he deal with Putin? Why didn't he deal with Hitler? Why didn't he deal with Stalin? Why, why, why? And doubt creeps in, right? Doubt, and that's where John the Baptist is. So how does Jesus answer him? What does he do? This is important for us. Here's the first thing he is. It's not implicit, doesn't say this, but it's what happens. He shows him mercy. Doesn't he? He's not like, John, I cannot believe you asked, that is, there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's a dumb question, all right? Why would you even think that, John? I can't believe you. You're supposed to be the best. You don't see that. He shows mercy. So much so that the half-brother of Jesus in his little epistle of Jude says, show mercy to to those who are struggling with belief, those who doubt. That's the model for the church. If you have people in your life that are struggling with doubt, it's not to be like, come on now. It's not to be harsh. It's not to yell at them. It's not to send them 500 verses a day with an angry eyebrow face emoji. It's to show mercy. That's what Jesus did. He showed mercy. Because he can handle your doubt. He can handle it. It's all he faced in his ministry, Right? And in, and in his mercy, he points them to two things. Look what he says. Jesus answered and said, go tell John what you hear, what you see. Go tell him. Go tell him, all, go tell him about the, the, the little girl that raised from the dead. Go tell him about how I'm doing this. Go tell him. Go tell him. Go tell him. Blind receive their sight. Lame walk. Leopards cleansed. Dead are raised. Poor have good news preached to them. Go tell him. And what he's doing, and, and this is a little verse, he's alluding to several Old Testament prophecies out of the book of Isaiah of what the Messiah would do. He's quoting Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, and kind of summarizing them in a verse saying, What does the, the word say about Messiah? Messiah is going to make blind see. Messiah is going to make lame walk. Messiah is going to preach good news. What do you see? What do you hear? He points them back to the word. This is critical. What is clear, John? What does the word say? And this is the first thing. When you're struggling with doubt, all right, go back to what God has made clear. Go back to what he's made clear. You never doubt in the dark what was clear in the light. John had no doubts when he's out in the wilderness, right? Now he's in jail, it's it's a dark place for him. He said, don't doubt. Don't doubt what is clear. And here's the challenge for the Old Testament prophets. This is why John has some struggles. Prophets of the Old Testament did not have a clear picture of everything that was going to happen. They had little pieces, but they didn't have an absolute clarity on anything, right? Oftentimes, they were prophesying about things. They didn't really even understand what they were saying, but they were under the inspiration of the Spirit, and so they're writing it down. John doesn't understand that there's not just one coming of Messiah, there's two. There's two. Have you ever seen a, a big mountain range? I've seen the Alps, right? When I was in Europe a couple years ago, and, and from a distance, it looks like, like there's just one or two mountains, but then when you get closer, you can see there's a big peak and then right behind it, there's a big peak and there's a big old valley in between and then there's another valley. It's just a, it's a huge thing. But from a distance, you only see kind of one big peak. And that's what the Old Testament prophets did. They saw from a distance and it looked like one mountain. It looked like one coming of Messiah. But then as you get closer, you see, oh wait, there's a, there's a big mountain and there's another big mountain behind it. That's often how well, Old Testament prophecy work. There's a, there's a first coming, there's a second coming and prophecies would have both comings in one verse. And so a good example of this is, is Isaiah 61, which Jesus quotes about himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord or God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We just saw that. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. But when Jesus quotes this, this passage in the synagogue when he's reading it, he leaves out the day of vengeance piece. He closes it up, the Lord's favor. Why? Because the day of vengeance is off in the future still. Same prophecy, but there's it's a different timing. You see this all the time. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Those things are all true. The government resting on his shoulders, that's, that's yet to come still when he comes back. Right, so there's there's this divide and John doesn't grasp it because he's got limited information. But what Jesus is pointing him to is, hey, what do you know is clear? The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the dead rise. Focus on that which is clear. This is where we go when we doubt. What is clear? What has God said? What has he made evident to us? You may not get it all, you're not gonna get it all. You may not get the why, but you can get the what. That's where we go. Because what I see, and and this is kind of a big thing in in modern day Christendom, you hear a lot about it is this whole idea of deconstructing your faith. You have these famous kind of pastors, the Joshua Harris's and all these people who are deconstructing, basically tearing it down. And and it's interesting what, what they do with their doubt. They do the opposite of John. John does what we should do. We run to Jesus. We run to Jesus. What everyone else is doing is they're running away. They're trying to figure it out on their own or they get alone or they they try to get real introspective and get wisdom from outsiders. John says, listen, I'm going to Jesus with my doubt. That's what we do, y'all. And he can handle it. He is merciful, right? Because if you run outside, you're not gonna find hope. You're gonna find confusion, confusion, and more confusion, Right? You run to the world, you run inside, try to figure it out, you're gonna find nothing. You run to him. And what you do is, when you run to him, here's what you're gonna find. You feel like God doesn't love me because fill in the blanks? No, you're gonna find a God who has lavished you in love. That he has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died. You're gonna find that truth to anchor your soul to. You're gonna find verses that say, there's nothing, nothing, not your sin, not your circumstances, not your worst day that can separate you from the love of God and Christ. That's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find uh, the answers to why is there evil in this world? Why has God let this happen? Why is he doing nothing? And you're gonna find the answer is he is doing something. He's redeeming all things to himself. He's dealt with the problem of evil at the cross. But sometimes there's a, there's a the waiting pattern. He says, I'll deal with Putin. Don't you worry about it. Vengeance is mine. Every knee will bow. It may not be today, but it will happen. I am dealing with all these wickedness. You think the the unrighteous are getting away with it? They're not. I promise you, they're not. Right? They will deal, be dealt with. Right? You don't like this circumstance in your life? You're like, why this then and not that? Why this? Because you don't have the big picture. You don't you don't realize that this is that God is your father and what he wants for you is best, even if you don't think it's best, and he is working all things for what? Good for those who love him. And so you could, if you could step back from his perspective, you see, oh, now I get it. See, that's why we have to go back to what the, the, the revealed clear truth. You may not get all the whys, but you can get the what? And so he closes this little section with, blessed is the one who's not offended. Don't, don't stumble. The word is a scandalizo. You get our English word scandalize out of it, right? He said, don't, don't be scandalized by me. Don't stumble. Don't be offended by me. Draw near to me. Draw near to what I've said. You can find hope. You can find life, which is what he's gonna say next week. Come, all who are heavy, weary, and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Where are you gonna run? And so if you have false expectations that have led to doubt, where do we go? We run back to the truth of God's word and we run back to who he is. And this is why, y'all, it's very practical. You need to renew your mind with the word. You just do. You don't need another YouTube video. You don't need Pinterest. You certainly don't need Instagram. What you need is to open this And let the spirit of the living God who who wrote this down for us, you need to to fill your mind and you fill your heart daily, daily. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's great. You want an application tomorrow as you're drinking your coffee? Turn off the Fox News and open your Bible. You'll be much more encouraged, I promise. All right, that's the first thing he does. He points him to the word in himself. Here, he does something else that's real subtle. I want you to see this. Jesus says, go and tell John. There's a relational piece there that John needs. Tell John what you saw. You, remember that thing I did yesterday? Tell him that. Tell John this. Tell John this. There's a relational piece that he is, he is encouraging John. What you need is people in your life who are going to point you to the Messiah, points you to the truth. Because when we get alone and when we get doubtful and all these things, what do we do? We turn all introspective. We get a, we, we turn in on ourselves and get mad. We start looking at false areas. We do that. Or we surround ourselves with people that will tell us what we want to hear. Yeah, you're right. Your mom's being mean. Yeah, you're right. Your spouse is this. Yeah, you're right. You deserve this. Your boss is this. That's what we like. And it's the worst thing we, we, we can get do for ourselves. What we need is people like John's disciples say, John, I know you feel this, but here's what you need to know. Jesus made the blind see. Jesus made the lame walk. Jesus cleansed the leper. Jesus preached good news to the poor. He is who he says he is. That's what you need. That's what you need. That's what I need. And if you don't have those people in your life, you need to get them that will come alongside you and show you mercy and say, no, this is true. This is not. Don't buy the lie. Don't believe it. Right? It's a, it's a huge piece of what we do here. We, community and Bible, relationships and the scripture. That's what we build our discipleship model around, and that's what we all need. As long as the day is called today, we still are encouraging one another. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Right? So, false expectations lead to doubt. Where do we go? We go back to the word. We go to Jesus. We get in community. And here's what I love if John had his doubts, about Jesus, Jesus has no doubts about John. Because a lot of people probably heard this. John's questioning Jesus, maybe we should question Jesus. So instead of like, oh, don't, don't listen to John, what does Jesus do? He affirms him. He affirms the junk out of him. He says this, they went away. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He asked them a question. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? What was so attractive about John? Did you go out to see a, a pretty flower? Right, a reed shaking in the wind. What did you go out to see? You see a man dressed in soft clothing? John wore leather, ate locusts, he was a roughneck. You didn't go out to see a guy wearing, you know, Lulu, drinking mint juleps in his lawn chair, right? You went out to see what? A prophet, yes, but even more than a prophet. He's not just a prophet, he was prophesied about so he quotes the book of Malachi that says this. This is of who is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face. And it's Yahweh speaking. God saying, before I come, I will send my messenger who will prepare your way. That's John, which is a, a kind of veiled illusion, by the way, that Jesus is Yahweh. Before me, I'll send my messenger. He was prof- a prophet, yes, but he was also prophesied. And this is where he says, I say to you, among those born of one women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he was least and the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We'll come back to that. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent takeover force. has always been opposition to the kingdom of God. That's why John's in jail. He says this, all the prophets of the law prophesied until John. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He was ears to hear. He's not the literal Elijah, but he is a, a picture of Elijah. There are ministries, if you look at Elijah and you can read about Elijah in the Old Testament, First Kings, Second Kings, Chronicles. Elijah's ministry and John the Baptist is very similar. They both were kind of alone, they both lived in the wilderness, they both wore leather, they both were rejected, and the their, their guy who came after them was greater than both of them, right? Elisha had a greater ministry than Elijah, and obviously Jesus has a greater ministry than John the Baptist. He's saying, this is, this is exactly what Malachi prophesied, and he's, a, he's showing the nation of Israel again, I am Messiah. But in doing so, we get two more little false expectations that Jesus is gonna shatter. And it's what I want to zoom in on a little bit. Jesus says that John is the greatest of all the Old Testament saints. And if he's so great, if he's so wonderful, then why is he in prison? I mean, wouldn't it be better if he's so great to have him out of jail? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? I need this dude, he's the greatest. So you're gonna put him in jail? Right? Right? Here's an expectation I think a lot of us have, right? And we talk about this a lot, but it's, it's, it's worth mentioning again. There's a, there's a false expectation that if you are gifted by God, you are called by God, you are obedient to God, you're doing exactly what he says to do, that everything is gonna go well. And can I tell you, if that's your hope, if you're the kind of person that thinks a quiet time of day keeps the devil away, and that's, that's your logic, you are gonna be greatly disheartened because that is not the promise of those who are called by God, right? If you have the expectation that, okay, I'm gonna get serious with this sin issue, I'm gonna really deal with this, and I'm gonna really go at it, and this, this area of my life, this addiction, this whatever it is, and you're like, yeah, I wanna get real. If you think that it's just because you intend to do that, that it's gonna be easy to put to death that what is earthly in you, and when it's not easy, you're gonna be disheartened and you're gonna say, why should I even try? It's so difficult to get rid of this addiction. Why should I even try to love that person, right? If they're not gonna love me back. If you think just because you're being obedient, things are gonna go well, that's not the way it works. If you think that you could, okay, I'm gonna get plugged into a church and you have ex, people have false expectations of church all the time. If you think that the church will never disappoint you, that no one in the church will ever hurt you, or let you down, please find another church before you realize that we will. I promise you, because all we are is a bunch of broken people who are running to the Savior. We will let you down. We have let you down. But if you have the expectation, this is why people leave the church all the time. They're disenfranchised, and they they didn't do this, or they didn't do that. We had expectations that they were gonna be perfect. Why? Because we have a perfect Savior, but we're not. The promise is not that it'll go easy, And the flip side is this, some of you have this like view of God that if I'm doing what is right, that I'm always gonna suffer. And you think that I have to choose the hardest path because the hardest path is the one that must be more godly. And that's a false expectation too. Sometimes God just blesses and it's good. And if you're waiting for the other shoe to drop always and it doesn't happen and you're like, oh, I must not be doing good. No, sometimes God's just gonna bless. And other times you're gonna do exactly what you're supposed to be doing and it's gonna be opposition and that's why we have to go back to the, to the word and the truth and not our circumstances. Because if your spiritual well-being is tied to your circumstances, your whole existence is gonna be this. <laughs> All right, if I'm doing this, then God must bless. If I'm not, we go back to what God has said. Otherwise, you're gonna end up like John. I did my part. Why am I in jail? Right? So that's a false expectation. God doesn't promise things are gonna be easy. He promises, I'm always gonna be with you. Always, All right? Here's the second one this passage deals with, is what is greatness really? What is, we have an expectation of what true greatness looks like, right? And I mean, I know we're in the church, we're like, oh yeah, everyone's the same, everyone's valuable, we say that on the surface, but what we really think is, yeah, but if I can be one step up, if I can be in charge, if I can be seen, if I have the loudest voice, if I'm John the Baptist wearing leather, eating honey and locusts, and I'm yelling at people, that's having an impact. That's greatness, because he's seen, because he's out there, because he's in the mix. Which is why I think it's so great that Jesus says, if you are in the kingdom, the least person in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. And how is that possible? Right? How, how could that be? It's, and it's not that Jesus is down on John's ministry, but he's showing us how privileged of a position that we are in to be part of the kingdom of God. Do you, real, do you realize, we, well, this is something we need to grasp, that I don't care who you are or where you're at, you're a grad student here, you're a high school student there, you're a, a, a widow over here, you're working in middle management over there. I, wherever you are at, Jesus is saying, if you are a Christian, if you are in the kingdom, you are greater than Johnny B. Do you believe that? It's hard to believe, isn't it? But why? Well, John, in an unambiguous way, gets to point forward the Messiah, and, and he sees in a mirror even more darkly than us. And he has some ideas. What do you have that he didn't have? You have number one, the Spirit of the Living God living inside you. Think about that. John the Baptist does not have the Holy Spirit and dwelling in permanently. He doesn't have that. You have God, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. C B C. You have divine enablement. You have assurance. You get to call God your Father. John the Baptist doesn't call God his Father. Right, you get to call God your father. You have the assurance that you are a child of God. You have the provision for the forgiveness of your sins. You know what John had to do every year? He had to go up to the tabernacle. He had to go up to the temple, offer a sacrifice. He had to do sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. You have a fulfillment of the, of, of the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. You have Christ on a cross in an empty tomb. We have so much more. Not only that, you have the rest of the story. You know exactly who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished, what he's going to do. You have so much more. And what we need to start getting in the church is greatness is not being seen. Greatness is not being on this stage. Greatness is not everyone knowing your name. Greatness is not I did this this week, I did this. Greatness is the fact that God knows you and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And once you can grasp that, it is so freeing. Because all you have to do is be faithful where you're at. Faithful in the little things. Coaching the t-ball, cooking the meal, loving your neighbor, doing a good job at work. That's it, isn't that freeing? Because if you, were, if you think greatness is being here or greatness is being seen, you are gonna be, you're gonna strive for that and what you're gonna discover is that when you get it, it's empty, <laughs> it's empty. And we gotta go back to what Andrew talked about last week. Give a cup of cold water to a disciple in Jesus' name. He says, you will never lose that reward. Just a cup of water. That's greatness. And so we have to get out of our worldly view of what greatness is and get what Jesus says. Just be a faithful follower of him wherever he has put you. Everybody can do that. And you have the spirit of God in you, empowering you to be faithful That's greatness. That's true greatness, right? Let's not have the false expectation of what greatness is. And one more thing here, quickly. We'll move through this. He says this next, and this is where he he kind of deals with the whole nation and their false expectations. He said, "What what should I compare to this generation? It's like kids sitting in a marketplace calling their playmates. We played the flute, you didn't dance. Sang a dirge, you didn't mourn. John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he's a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's he saying? He's saying, you guys always wanna put God in a box, and you're never happy. You weren't happy with, we're saying the same thing. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. But John, he's living out in the desert. He doesn't drink, smoke, he doesn't do nothing. Here I am. Jesus doesn't smoke, but he, he's, having, he's having meals with, his, with sinners. He said, you can't be happy with anything. I'm doing this, he's doing that, and you don't, because you want God to fit in your box. How many of us do that? God, you gotta do this. God, you gotta do this. This is what you do. This is what, this is what you can't do. This is what you can do. And, 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 he, and we wanna put God in this box that we've created, and we're not gonna be happy unless he toes the line. And this is a reminder, we're not, We don't get to tell God how he should or should not act. He tells us how we should or should not act. He tells us what to believe. He tells us where to go, and we go. We don't get to tell him. And he closes with this this denouncing of cities. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works are done. What are you, Chorazin? What are you, Bethsaida? Tyre and Sidon would, would have repented. And I don't even need to read the whole thing I read earlier. Here's the idea. Jesus is doing all these miracles in places like Capernaum where his home base is. And they're seeing the mighty hand of God move in ways that they've never seen before. And he compares them. He said, if Sodom and Gomorrah, cities which God destroyed because of their sexual immorality, if they would have had just a smidge of the truth that you have in their day, they would have repented long ago. And all you do is turn away from me. You have more revelation and you continue to reject me. Why? Because we don't fit your little box of God. Because we, we don't do what you think should be done. And, and it's, it's a warning for us. Don't put God in your box. This is how you need to act. This is how you need to do. God, this is what you need to do for me because I do this for you. All sorts of common things. Now, when God speaks... We respond. It's the warning. And it, here, here's, why it's, here's why it's dangerous for you to know truth. Because now you're accountable. You're accountable for what you've heard. Right? And Jesus says, those, those people that have more revelation are going to be more accountable. This is why it's, judgment is going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for, for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because they didn't have this. They didn't have this. They didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the message of the gospel. They didn't have... God's clarity on what he's saying. And the encouragement is this. Here's what we do. Here's how we don't put God in a box. Just do what God says to do what you know. You don't have to know everything, but what he's made clear to you, respond. Respond, right? If you're like, man, our family, we we just really need to be more consistent with coming, coming to church on Sundays. I mean, we're making it one out of four months. We just need to be more consistent. Great, you know that, do it. You're like, oh, I've been watching some stuff on TV. It's just not helpful to my soul. It's not good. Great. Get rid of it. I need to be more forgiving of my my spouse. I need to be more patient with my kids. Great. Yes. Do it. I need to spend more time in the scripture instead of watching TikToks. Right? Great. Yes, I agree. It's a waste of your time. Delete the app right now. Delete it. Delete it. Right? Yeah, don't... Don't hear truth and say, yeah, that's good, that's good. And just don't respond. He says because you're, you're accountable, right? And then when we say, no, I'm not gonna, I, that's good, but I'm not gonna do it, we're putting God in a box basically saying, yeah, that's good for them, but it's not good for me. And here, here's the Lord Jesus saying, hey, look, I am gentle, I am humble, I am kind, come to me, and he's inviting you. But you come on his terms, not on yours. That's the idea. We come on your, in his terms. Right? He's okay with false expectations and he has, he's okay with doubt. He shows mercy. But what he's gonna do is say, okay, here's what I want you to do with your expectations. Here's what I want you to do, doubt. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. Come back to what I have made clear. You're not gonna get all the answers, but you're gonna get some. You're gonna get enough. And then do them. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. He who has ears, Hear right, wisdom will be justified by our deeds, you'll see it in the end, that's what he's saying, so it's okay, if, you, if, you're, if you're here this morning, and you're like, I got all sorts of doubts, I got all sorts of trouble, that's okay, Jesus is okay with that, but he's gonna invite you to himself, and say, here's who I am, I love you, I gave my life for you on a cross, so that you could have eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know me, the one true God, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And then everything else, we'll, we'll figure it out. But that's where we start. We start with him. And if that's you, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're wrestling, that's why the church is here. Do not leave today and be, you know, feel like you're alone. Come talk to someone. Grab a pastor. Get in the back hall. Go pray with somebody. Fill out a connect card uh, that you want to meet. That's why we're here. We want to walk and stumble and fall and pick each other up all the way into the kingdom. That's what we want to do. That's what being a church is about. Let me pray and we'll respond through singing. Father, thank you that you are okay with doubts. And, and I think some of us would cry out like the man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. What a, what a great prayer. That is a prayer you answer. And so if someone's here crying out, help my unbelief, Lord, help them today. I pray your spirit would move. I pray that we would get our expectations from the word, from what is true, and that we would fix our hope on the firm foundation that we would build our house on the rock, and when all those storms come, it will stand because you stand. So we pray these things in your holy name, amen. You guys can stand.